Well, good morning. I am Nate, one of the elders here, for those of you who don't know me, and it is my privilege to bring this message to you this morning, such as it is. Fortunately, we are going to spend the bulk of it in God's Word, so He can make up the difference. So if you'd turn with me in uh, Exodus 13, we're going to read through uh, verses 1 through 16 this morning. All right, it's there. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time, year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised an oath to you and to your ancestors, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb, all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem a lamb, every firstborn do- redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem it and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace to us. We thank you for your provision, your love, your sustaining of our lives. And we thank you for bringing us each out of our own slavery that either we've created for ourselves or that people have subjected us to. We ask that you would grow our faith and plant faith and help us to grow this morning and be nurtured through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Growth in this life, and I'm speaking primarily here of of spiritual growth, 
is a product of both divine providence and human responsibility. Uh, there's a part we do, and there's a part that God does. And if you've ever grown peas in a garden, uh, you do understand that it takes uh, both what the pea can do and what the Lord does through preparing and, and sustaining the environment, but we also have some work to do. The truth is, God gives us great responsibility as his church and as the people of his church to tend the garden of the kingdom. As God's people, the church, we've been given a command to go out into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this process of making disciples is one that involves all of us together, as well as each of us individually, as we bring our individual gifts into it. But how does faith come into our children? And how does that faith grow to maturity? And these are just a couple of the questions that our passage answers for us today. So, in Exodus 13, the Lord gives Moses a command. He has already instituted Passover, and now he adds a couple of additional things. The consecration of the firstborn, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread gets added to the mix. These are the last great commandments of God before the children of Israel actually begin their exodus through the wilderness and towards the promised land. And we know that oftentimes the last thing said is the thing that should be emphasized and that we should remember. Uh, but while nothing is more or less important necessarily in the economy of God's word, he does emphasize certain things and he does that here. It is clear that God wants Israel to remember and to pass along the knowledge of his great saving act that he accomplished in bringing them out of slavery. And he wants that great saving act to be remembered from generation to generation. And we now know from a more panoramic view of the Bible and the birth of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection and ascension that faith needed to be imparted to the next generation in order for faith to mature so that this great message of salvation could go out to the ends of the earth so that we could fulfill that commission. What is also clear is that God has a plan for each of us, individuals, families, communities, our church, that allows faith to be implanted and grown into maturity so that his salvation will not go just to the ends of the earth, but also beyond time. So where does saving faith come from and how does it mature? In some traditions, uh, it's believed that children just kind of inherit their children's or their parents' faith. And really they're saved at baptism. There are others that would say that faith is fluid uh, sometimes you have it, other times you don't. Uh, depending on how you're feeling or the day, uh, this could lead to a lot of fear and confusion about whether or not you have faith and are Christ at all. And this is where Exodus chapter 13 really helps us out. Here in God's instructions to the children of Israel, just prior to their great exodus from Egypt, he supplies us with a pattern of both the imparting of faith and the nurturing of faith, how it comes into being and how it grows. And this pattern 
is as solid today as it was 5,000 years ago. And this pattern uh, has tremendous applications and implications for our churches and our families, uh, and even the way we raise our children, and I would say especially the ways that we raise our children. So there are several steps to this process. I don't have a nice, neat three-point sermon today, um, but hopefully this will flow along in a way that feels, uh, feels natural uh, and intuitive. So, verse 1 and 2, we want to talk about consecration. It's kind of the first step in this process. Consecrate to me. God told Moses to consecrate the firstborn. Ian Campbell commented on this passage. He says, The consecration of the firstborn was a reflection, once again, of the total commitment of the people to God who had redeemed them. The relation between redemption and consecration, between salvation and holiness, is explained in the passage that follows, in which the redemption from Egypt and the rituals surrounding the Passover are in the foreground. The firstborn emphasis here thus is, uh, emphasizes God's concern over the first things in life. This is not meant to establish the rights of the firstborn or any other uh, genealogical uh, implications. The concept is a spiritual one. The firstborn points to consecration. And consecration is the response of redemption. Therefore, we who have been redeemed by God in Christ Jesus, we consecrate ourselves. We consecrate our children. We consecrate everything to God out of love and gratitude for his redemption. As we grow in our lives, and should God grant us a spouse and children, we consecrate those children to God as a response of a grateful heart to our Redeemer. And faith in our children begins with the consecration of that child as his or her birth. This is part of why we baptize infants uh, in our denomination. We do so for the same reason that circumcision was given. In obedience to God to consecrate our children. Now, circumcision did not save people, nor does baptism in infants or adults, uh, but it is a sign of consecration. It is a visible setting apart of God's people. The second step in the process of how faith matures is seen in the long section between 3 and 13, uh, but it can be summed up in a word, remember. So our second step is memorial. Remember this day. God gave Israel a Passover to remember his mighty acts. He gave them the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is tied to Passover. And notice that the memorial act that they are to perform not only looks back on what God has done, but looks forward to what God will do. Today you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, which he swore to your fathers to give to you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. So God gives us the sacrament of communion to look back, to look back to the cross, to the place of our redemption, and to the future coming again of our Savior, to the home that he has prepared for us, to a new heaven and a new earth, which I long for and I believe will not be quite as hot as, I, uh, as it has been. 
In a similar way, there are times in the year like Advent and Christmas and Easter that we memorialize, that we set apart to remember specific parts of Jesus' life and the story of redemption. The worship service at the church is uh, a memorial by itself. The various aspects of our service are milestones and markers. The confession of sin, the confession of faith, the benediction, uh, even the sermon is part of these milestones and markers that um, build into our faith. The Lord Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross is the fundamental truth that we are memorializing. That he rose again from the grave on the third day and that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. This is the truth that we memorialize and bring before us each week. So there's a third step in this process and it's related to memorial. It is community. Then the Lord said to the people, And it's important to see that throughout this passage, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. And faith matures within a community of people committed to God and his salvation in the world. Faith can become malnourished when we are withdrawn from God's people, which is why the author of the book of Hebrews tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and especially as we see the day drawing near. When a person comes to faith in Christ, they need to understand that they are part of the body of Christ. And this means being an integral part of the local church. And this might sound like a plug to come to church more often, but I guess it is. When a child is born and consecrated to God, it is only the beginning of the journey. And this journey must take place within the community of God's people, the body of Christ. It's within this consecrated community of God's people that we learn to forgive. We learn how to receive forgiveness, how to care for others, how to be cared for, which is even harder. And of course, how to encourage one another along the journey. Oftentimes uh, in a race or in preparing for a race, a runner uh, will invite others to run along with them uh, in order to help push them and increase their performance. And in a similar way, Our faith is bolstered, and we are encouraged and are able to walk this life stronger because of those who are walking alongside us. There's been times in my own life that I know without the support of our church community, um, I just don't know where I and we would have ended up. It was our fellow members of the body that really kept us rooted in the reality of, of his salvation in Christ. So this next step in the process of nurturing faith is mentorship. So in verse 14, in days to come when your sons ask you, what does this mean? And here the Lord moves from the general to the particular. As we see that he moves from dealing with the people of God broadly uh, to dealing with the people of God uh, within a single family. Faith in God, which started with consecration, was marked by memorial and grew within the context of community, now must be cultivated in personal relationships. And it is here that we see the implanting or the imparting of one's faith to another. 
that special person, that mentor, or that spiritual guide might be a parent or a grandparent. If you weren't born into a Christian family, that mentor might be somebody else. Whoever it was, having a mentor in the faith is a critical piece to the puzzle of a lifelong and vibrant faith. And that leads us right into the next uh, aspect of maturing in the faith, is conversation. So what, what exchange is there between uh, a mentor and a mentee? Well, hopefully it sounds something like when your son asks you, what does this mean, you have an answer. My, the story of my own father is kind of a tragic, a tragic story in a lot of ways. He died when I was 21. Um, wrestled with becoming a pastor and serving the church in a few different ways. Um, and just really wrestled with, I think, uh, if I could say it, following God uh, closely. But one thing that he always imparted to me is that faith is absolutely the most important thing in your life. And um, I've, I've carried that with me, as misguided as some of his other instructions might have been, <laughs> or a lot of them. Uh, that is one that stuck. So the way that the Lord puts this is that the child having been consecrated to God, the child seeing the memorials of salvation, the child being raised within the community of, of faith, uh, where he has heard the stories of faith, the teachings of Scripture, the holy words, the holy places, the holy activities of God. But there comes a time when that child, and this is not a time uh, uh, of a particular age, as much as it is a unique awakening for that child, there's a time where they begin to associate their own story with the grand narrative of Scripture, of God's salvation. It is here that the child now brings their questions, their concerns, their doubts to their spiritual parent. And what an awesome opportunity for them for the parent, for that mentor at that time, to watch somebody's eyes light up when they encounter true life in Christ for the first time. When we get to answer the question, Mom, Dad, what does all this mean for me? It is the beginning of the discovery of truth in a personal way. And this opportunity must not be taken for granted. We must as those parents and spiritual mentors be praying for this moment, to be prepared for it. That we be ready to listen as well as teach. And I know I tend to teach probably more than I listen if you ask my kids. We pray for children and we pray for those who are in our community wrestling with the gospel. And we're thankful that people have found a safe place here to do that that they are in a community of faith where they have a safe place to do that, where they can ask those hard questions and learn, and learn what it means to follow Jesus. This leads us to our sixth step. There are seven, which biblically is a number of completions, so you know that after this one is the seventh, and we will be complete. <laughs> the sixth is testimony. We must remember that the, this entire passage of Scripture, uh, we are reading that Moses is giving God's guidance, guidance on how saving covenant faith, based on his redemption, will be passed down through the generations. That is the thrust of the passage. God has moved in his teaching from the larger community that we saw, the people of Israel, 
to, uh, to the community, but then also to the family, and then to individual relationships. The critical response is now seen. The faith matures as a mentor explains the story of redemption in a personal way. The mentor himself, in this case the father, relates that he has been personally involved in the redemption story. The father becomes an essential link between God's great miracles and the personal story of the child. And our children need to see Christ alive in us. The community around us needs to see Christ alive in us. And as Leslie Newbegin said, there is no greater apologetic than a congregation who is living out their faith. So the seventh and final step in this process of how faith matures is one that we pray for, is the one we pray for, transformation. In verse 16, it shall be as a mark on your hand, a frontlet between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The father, the mentor, now tells the son the obligations of the covenant upon him. He has done his part. It is time for the child to receive faith and to walk with God. The responsibility that you and I have is to share the gospel of Jesus from consecration all the way through to personal testimony with the aid of memorial and sacred community. But in the end, it must be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that transforms the soul. You cannot change someone's heart. And as parents, that is really hard to accept. The burden at this point is providentially on God and upon the child to receive the gift of grace. This may take days or years or decades, but God's word will not return to him void. The process of being, grown, of being born and growing into maturity always comes down to the work of the Lord through his word and through his Holy Spirit. So I want to conclude with a message for adults and a message also for the children here. First, the adults. There's a theme that is interwoven throughout this passage. It's a theme that's captured with out of Egypt. Moses uses out of Egypt five times. Egypt always shapes a key point in the narrative of our faith. Our faith is born and matures as we are on exodus, coming out from slavery, as we are on pilgrimage, sojourning, going to a promised land, the promised land. The writer to the Hebrews uses Moses and the exodus as an example of Christians in chapter 11. So it is important for us to remember that faith matures in the context of the journey. Your story of faith is being written now where you are on Exodus from the place you used to be in between the place where God is leading you. Every trial and every heartache, every joy is being turned into fuel for faith to make it all the way home. So don't be afraid of the journey. The one who called you out of Egypt will see you through. He is faithful. Now to the children. 
Your parents love you. They bring you to church because they want you to come to know the love of the Lord of creation. The church is a group of people who share that in common. Remember what Jesus Christ did for us whenever we take communion. Whenever we see a baptism, we remember that Jesus rose again from the dead. But there comes a time when God speaks to you. There's a time when you will have doubts and questions. And please come to us. There is no shame. There is no question too hard. You will be received. Your parents will tell you what it means to them. They will tell you that God changed their lives. They will tell you that they came to know the true love by seeing the love that Jesus showed them. They will tell you that you can know that love too. The Lord God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, His firstborn, the consecrated one. He calls us to place our faith in Him. And through His life and through His death, the angel of death will pass over us. And He will lead us out of Egypt. And Jesus will always be with us. He will never let us go. And He has prepared a place for us. And He will take us there. And that is how faith comes to maturity. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Moses. Thank You for carrying Your people out of slavery. We thank You for the work that You're doing in our own hearts to do the same. We ask that You would remind us continually through memorial, through community, through our relationships with our parents, and our mentors, and our mentees, that you are the Lord of creation, and that you are coming to take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.